How deeply does the truth of the gospel penetrate and saturate our life? Here's the thing. I want us to think deeply about how we answer this question. How deeply does the truth of the gospel penetrate and saturate our lives? Because it's easy here on Sunday mornings. So we're supposed to do. It's the expectation. But Monday rolls around and oftentimes the expectations are different, aren't they? I want us to think very deeply about this question. Because here's, here's what we see so much. is Modern day Christianity is, placed, is just so plagued with what I call easy believism. We don't talk about the hard things. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about those hard things and the, the, the ramifications of that. And, and we don't like to talk about repentance. And, and, and oftentimes what this easy believism that is plagued with modern day Christianity is that Jesus loves you. And if you'll just accept Jesus into your heart, all your wildest, like Pedro says, all of your wildest dreams will come true. Can I be honest with you? Jesus doesn't need your acceptance. He is king. He is king. What he desires is your worship. He desires your worship. We have to be careful about this easy believism. Just ask Jesus into your heart and, and you, can, you can do whatever you want. And we present the gospel this way. It's almost as like, hey, you don't want to go to hell, do you? So how about just pray this prayer, do this thing, and all this, everything else is going to be A-okay. It's like getting your kid and holding Brussels sprouts in one hand and an oatmeal raisin cookie in the other and go, which one do you want? I'll have some comments over that, I'm sure, this week, because I said oatmeal raisin and not chocolate chip. However, you get the point, right? So often we don't, we don't think about, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to, to have my heart rescued? What does it mean to be transformed? What does it mean to be born again? What does that look like? And, and does that saturate into the rest of our lives? And, and so often we, we have this Jesus, we picture this Jesus is weak and frail. And that he's just pleading with us. I believe that God does plead with us, but it is not in a weak way. Jesus doesn't have to beg for his glory. He gets it. Jesus is not weak. He's often described as meek, which is something totally opposite as weak. Meekness is ultimate power under control. And this is what Jesus is. He is meek. When we think about following Jesus and what it means. And when we look at Scripture, we read Passages like Luke 14, verses 26 and 27. It says, If anyone would come after me, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those are heavy words. I think we do need to count the cost of following Jesus. And here's what it's often looked at, because we don't like to read verses like Luke 14, 26, and 27. We often look at this as simply, simply what we give up. But here's the thing. I think that Jesus is really, really compelling us to look at not what we give up, but what we gain What we gain here, what we gain when we let go of our own selfish ambitions. And here's the beautiful thing about it. It's an incredible exchange of the temporal for the eternal. We have to understand that Jesus calls us to himself on his terms. But so often we want to make salvation in Christianity about our terms. But when we look at the goodness of the gospel, 
God is so good and so gracious. He's so kind. He knows the wretchedness of our hearts. He knows that, that, yeah, we have our hope and our trust in Him, but there are areas of our lives, but we just, even I do it, I go, God, but I just want it this way. I want it this way. And God is kind enough to shepherd me, to discipline us through those things, and to show us the goodness of His glory. My hope this morning is that we would just not take for granted, not not see the truth of who Jesus is and what He calls us to just surface level. My hope is that we dig deep into the goodness of God and, and what He calls us to and we look at our sin and we look at what we need to repent of and we embrace the glory of God because the exchange that we get here is so much greater. The junk that we... When, when, when we see Luke 14, we said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father or mother or wife and children, I don't want to hate my wife. I don't want to hate my kids. We have to look at what Jesus is talking about here. It's not that I hate my wife. It's that I see the value and the goodness of embracing Christ as my Lord and Savior is so valuable, so much greater than in comparison, it would look that way. And here's the beautiful thing about this. When we get that, when we understand that, when, when I embrace the goodness of the gospel and, and I, I, I pick up my cross and I die to myself daily. You know what that does in relationship, especially to my wife and my kids and those around me? I love my wife so much better. I lead my kids and love my kids so much better. I love my church so much better. This is not that saying, Jesus is not saying that you need to hate your family. He goes, you need to love me because in chasing after and following me and making me the, the throne of your heart, all goodness is given to you. These are the promises that we get. It's this beautiful exchange that we get in the gospel. Here's what I want to do. I'm preaching before I'm preaching this morning. My goodness. Just excited about this this morning. I, I really am. Here's what I want to do. As we look at our passage today, I want us to look deeply into the truth of the message of Christ. And I want us to see this, this incredible joy of the truth when we are about the glory of God. The glory of God. And I'm going to talk about this quite a bit today. And I talk about it all the time. The glory of God. The glory of God. And we talk about this all the time because it's really, really easy to talk about the glory of me and the glory of you. It should be about God's glory. We're in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. I should have told you that earlier, but um, I'm going to give you a moment to get there. Paul is in Ephesus. He's been traveling around. He's on his third missionary journey. We looked at some really neat stuff um, last week where some guys just got the full truth of the gospel, and God is doing some amazing, amazing things through the work of his followers here. And we come here to a very interesting story. Kind of comical. Imagine Luke grinning when he's pinning this part. of Some old boys get their hat and their pants handed to them by a demon, possessed man. You can laugh. I think it's kind of comical. We're going to look at this. You guys got your Bibles open this morning? I gave you time. All right, here's the thing. This works better when I get an amen or something every now and then. I can keep preaching. You know I can. So here we go. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the, the uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom uh, was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they had fled out of that house 
naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was extolled. That's so awesome here how God works. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is God's word. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we praise you for all that you are. God, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you are so kind and so graceful and so merciful uh, to us, Father, that even in our uh, continued rebellion to you, Lord, you just are so great, graceful to us. That We thank you that you call us out of darkness into marvelous light. And Father, we, we acknowledge that we need your help. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to live holy lives, just as what we've sang about this morning. So, Father, would, you, would your Spirit, just as your Scripture says, to convict us of those things, but help us to turn from those things, to, to embrace the goodness of who you are, and to live that out, not only in our own lives, but as an example to others. And, Father, my prayer, too, this morning, is that your Spirit would convict of sin Maybe for the first time today of some that are here and that you would call them to yourself and that you would redeem them, that you would change their hearts of stone to hearts of flesh and that you would secure them for all eternity. Father, we just ask that you would do that. And it's in the holy, precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. If you've got your uh, worship guide there, you're kind of following along there. This first one may be a little bit confusing, but... But this, this section here I've titled is, God is for God. Now, this is something we have to really grasp and, and wrestle with. And I want to kind of unpack this. But I want to walk through a little bit of Scripture here first. And, and, and when we look at this passage of Scripture, it's really, really interesting. Miracles being done by, by people touching the handkerchiefs and these aprons of Paul. And our, our text says that these miracles were, they were extraordinary. Did you guys catch that? God was doing extraordinary miracles. It was out of the norm. It wasn't just common day practice. We have to understand that. We have to be very careful in understanding this. And, and we understand this through this. It's just kind of weird. Like aprons and handkerchiefs that Paul had. People were carrying them. And people are getting healed and all of this stuff. We have to be very careful in understanding this. Because the purpose of these signs was to affirm the message that Jesus and the apostles proclaimed. It was to affirm that Paul was speaking the truth of the gospel. This is why we see those things there. In fact, I think you can kind of do a a study of Scripture. I had read one commentary that that said that that in the New Testament, the only miracles being done outside of the apostles was with Philip and Stephen. They only recorded miracles. But you understand that every time that happens, it goes to, to validate the message of the gospel. We see in Hebrews chapter 2, the second half of verse 3 and verse 4, it says, It was declared at first by, by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders of various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. I love as Brett said before, he says, The miracles are not the point. The miracles are not the point, but what they do is to point to something greater, and that is Christ, the message of the truth. And what we see here is these signs, they were evidence that the message was true. What Paul was doing was true. And you just you can read it in context. Go back to Acts 19, verse 1 through 10. Read there where the truth, the fullness of the gospel was being proclaimed here. Throughout the entire Bible, miracles are not uniformly sprinkled as everyday occurrences either. Whether they're, they're kind of clustered at key moments to emphasize what was going on. Look at, the, look at the Exodus. Look at the Exodus. Go back to, 
Take it and look at what happened there. The ten plagues. Those are miracles that happened. The parting of the Red Sea. Those are miracles that God performed there. And what we see here is in those things, God is working on behalf of His people and they give evidence of an eternal implication rather than the temporal. I think of Christ raising Lazarus out of the grave. What Jesus did there was a temporal raising of the dead because Lazarus died. He's not here with us. His physical body, his heart stopped. But what it did was emphasize that Christ has the power to overcome eternal death. Do you see how this goes there? And so often we can focus on these, these temporal things when we miss the picture of the eternal. What we see is a contrast of God working in and through Paul for his glory. And the problem that we see here in our text is we have these, these inept Jewish exorcists. They, they try to use the name of Jesus for their own glory. It's a dangerous thing for these seven men. As we say back where I grew up, them old boys got whooped. I mean, they got a beat down. There's seven of them. And one guy, I mean, this is a cage match of all cage matches, Right? I mean, they got their hat handed to them, right? It was dangerous for them. They they were in no way submitting to the authority of Jesus as Lord. They just wanted His power for their own glory. they, They wanted to use God for their own financial profit. And you think about it, even those that these, these charlatans that hired them, they were, they were even trying to use God for their own purpose as well. And what it got them was a severe beating. And I would, in humiliation, they ran out naked. I mean, this guy pulled their clothes off. Imagine the humiliation of these guys running home unclothed. And honestly, I think they got off really, really light. God is for God. We need to be careful in understanding that. Because God is for God. And we need to understand that is what's best for us. All that God does is for His glory. Let me share some passages of Scripture with you. They're going to be on your bulletin. But I encourage you. Go and look these up again. Psalm 115.1 Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to Your name give glory. For, for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Not to us. Not to us, to God and God alone. Romans 11.36 For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. To God. Where are we at in here? Look at Isaiah 48 verses 9 through 11. Look at this. For my name's sake. This is God speaking. For my name's sake. told you. God is for God and it's good for us. Listen to this. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. That I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you. Not as silver, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God is for God. Look at John 17. The high priestly prayer where Jesus, He prays not only for His apostles, but He prays for us too. And listen to what He says here. God is for God and it's good for us. Listen to what Jesus says. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I could go on. could go on with more and more of God's word talking about his glory is good for us. And, and, and I think we need this paradigm shift that we think that God is for us I would say that God is for us, but first and foremost, God is for God. Does that make sense? 
I got about four people. All right. I'll make some life groups this week. But think about this. This is God is for God. And when you understand that, it is what good for us. Friday night, this past Friday night, we have Fire Pit Friday, and Justin was there and he led this. this it's such a great study on just peace in the Lord. And he talked about this very thing that God is for God. And, and, and to think about it, he talked about the sovereignty of God. And we, we, can't even, we can't even begin to define God's sovereignty. But here's the beautiful thing about it. What I love that he emphasized so much is that we can trust in God's sovereignty because he is all good. He's good. It, it would be fearful of us and, and like really sketchy if God was not good or even had just a little bit of not good in him. It would be dangerous for us to go, man, I'm really scared about trusting in God's sovereignty because am I going to get that part that's not good? That doesn't happen. God is good. He is all good. We, we understand that if God, for to be for God, who is all good, man, why, don't, why can't we get under that and in that and wrap ourselves in that? That He is all good. So we need to be for God. What we shouldn't do is try to use God for our own purposes. Kind of leaves you whooped and unclothed and humiliated, right? When we try to use God for our own, own purposes. These charlatans, this is what they were doing. This so-called high priest. And here's the thing, he's called a high priest. There's no record of him in actually being a, a true high priest. He probably assumed this title because it got him more business. So he could make more money. What they were doing is invoking the name of Jesus for their own glory. Dangerous. Oh, that's dangerous. We need to be careful that we don't, we, we don't do that. And here's the thing about it. They had absolutely no power. Because you think about Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul is doing these things and he's got these aprons and sweatbands and all this stuff on and, and that's what's healing people. And it wasn't Paul's power. It's God's power. And even the demon recognized this. He goes, hey, Jesus I know and Paul, yeah, I know that guy too, but you guys? Who are you? You have no authority. No power. Whatsoever. Whatsoever. And then he commenced a whooping on these old boys. What we see here is they were they had no power, and it's recognized by this demon. This is verse 15. The problem is, is they were not in submission to God's word and his glory and his authority, but they wanted to use it. And so often, so many people, we do the same thing, right? Think about your prayer life. Hey, God, I know I need to pray about this, but I'm going to tell you how I want you to fix this. Anybody do that? I'll do that. <laughs> we have to be careful of that, right? The problem is, is we make ourselves at the center of glory and we invoke the name of the Lord for our own glory. We have to be careful of that. And the problem is this, is we want to be the hero or the overcomer. And what that does is put God in the back seat of our lives. And the danger of that is we don't even, we don't even have a license. To drive the vehicle of our lives. It'd be like taking your three-year-old and go, hey, why don't you drive us home to church today? It's dangerous. When we do this, we, we're destined to wreck the vehicles of our lives. That's what we do. And the safest thing that we can do is remember it's not about your glory. It's about His. That is what is good for us. Because God is for God and we should be too. When we put our faith in Jesus. We're, we're promised blessings. We are. Let me tell you something. It's not a prosperity gospel. I'm telling you. God is for God first and foremost. But here is the beautiful thing. Because He is all good. And we put our hope and our trust in Him. He makes great promises to us. Let me, let me share some of these. When we acknowledge the lordship of Him, we enter into His eternal blessings. The Bible tells us that God delights in blessing His people. 
Ephesians 1.3. It won't be up here. Ephesians 1.3. You can write it down. It says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with everything. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Second Peter 1.3. It's another one of those. When we come to Christ, He grants us everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's when we're about His glory, that's when we get these things. And, and clearly we receive all the riches of Christ when we come to Him for salvation on His terms. When we put our trust in Him, we lay aside ourselves and we put our hope in Him. Here's the next thing that we can pull out. I want us to see here is that we should desire for God to use us for His glory and for our joy and the joy of others. Let me ask you, do you want God to use you for His glory? Really? Think about it. I mean, do you pray that? It's a hard prayer to pray for your kids. My wife and I remember years ago, we were looking at pastoring and church planting and all of those things, and, and we came to the realization that how we pray for our kids is so vital. It's such a double-edged sword here because we pray these things. This is how we pray for our kids because in one hand, our flesh is going, man, this is so scary. But the other hand is I trust in the goodness of God. And this is the way we pray for our kids, is that God, would you just use them for your glory? It's the scariest but the safest prayer that we can pray for our kids. If you would just use them for your glory. And we had this, I remember very, very, very vividly this conversation that we, Amy and I had. What if, what if God calls our kids to a place that they will lose their lives and we will never see them again? They're proclaiming the gospel, making much of Jesus. That's a hard thing to pray. But I looked at him and going, God, I trust you. I don't want to lose my children, but I want, I feel, I, I know we trust you in enough. To know that you have all authority and you are good. And I want you to use them for your glory and their joy and the joy of others. I see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. This guy's on his third missionary joint journey. And this dude has been beat up. And it ain't over yet. He's got more coming. And what we see here is where Paul is at now, he, he could have built himself up as this great following and look at what I can do. My sweatbands have all of this power. My aprons where I'm building tents and all this stuff. People are just taking these things and people are being healed. And I just imagine what Paul thought about when he walks into work and go, where did I put my apron? Like, where's my, my handkerchief, you know? Because people are taking these and, and people, Paul could have said, look at what I'm doing, but no. It's not what he does. He goes, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You wanted people to follow Jesus, and they were. Look at verse 17. It says, the name of Jesus was being extolled. Like people were coming and embracing Christ. What we see here is the beautiful thing is that Paul labored as a tent maker. What it, what it really meant that he dealt with hides, more than likely. And what we see is is evidence of his integrity and his desire to bring God glory. Just as you think about these, these handkerchiefs and everything. I read one commentary talking about the, the correlation to that with, with his handkerchiefs and even Moses' staff. And this is what he said. So these rags and the staff were a symbol of God's honor to them as their, uh, and them and their labor. There was nothing magical about these things or themselves. However, it was evidence of God using these men that were so sold out to the glory of God and willing to stoop to even menial tasks to make much of Jesus. And God honored that. I want you to think about this. Do you think about where you're at in your life? 
How is God being honored and glorified in that? Because here's what we like to do. We like to really compartmentalize it. Go, God, I'm going to do this thing. Right? I'm going to bring you so much glory in this right here. I'm going to, I'm going to go do this. It'll be so good for you. What about the areas of life that you're not comfortable? What about that job that you're looking at going, man, he's talking about Monday. And I got to go in and hit a lick tomorrow. I got to see these people. I got to deal with this and I got to do that. You ever, you ever thought about maybe, maybe you're right where God wants you to be? But maybe, maybe your focus is on the wrong thing. What am I getting out of this? Maybe we're looking at, maybe you're looking at the wrong thing. Maybe it's your own glory and desires that you're wanting. And maybe that's why it's so miserable. Maybe that's why you're so discontent and beat up. Maybe, just maybe, you just need a shift in perspective. Not what am I going to get out of this, but looking at it as, man, God has placed me here, and how am I making much of Him? Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace, in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice, listen to this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The thing about this is, is so often we think we're in such a horrible place, we're just looking at the wrong thing. Maybe we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Glory is so much bigger and greater than anything we could ever imagine. And, and the beautiful thing is that He invites us into that for our joy and the joy of others. Maybe you have that horrible job because the glory of God needs to be seen in that horrible job. Maybe relationships that you have are so bad right now and so on the rocks right now because maybe your focus is on the wrong thing. It's on ourselves and not Christ. How can we bring glory to God? And that how can we decrease and Jesus increase in those areas? Here's the last thing I want us to see here. Repentance is the welcome mat to God's glory. I didn't know how else to put this, but in my little redneck brain, this is the way that I see it. That repentance is this welcome mat. That God says, you repent, come on in. Come to the fullness of joy. Come, come. This is so beautiful here. We see this here. Look at verses 18 through 20. 18 through 20. These guys got whooped, right? Because they're, they're trying to, to, to use God's glory for their own gain. And what we have are these Christians, these confessing Christians. They see what happens. And they come and they're confessing and they're divulging these evil practices. It's witchcraft. They bring all their junk and they burn it. What it says there, it's, and many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, not, not in secret, in sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is such a beautiful picture here. Such a beautiful picture. These Ephesian people who confessed faith in Jesus, but yet they had not repented of their sinful ways. And it was, it was keeping them in a way from enjoying the goodness, the fullness of God's glory. They were holding on to their occult practices just in case Jesus didn't work out. 
Or maybe, maybe they just wanted the advantages of both. I, I want this, this, this Jesus here, but I also kind of want this stuff here as well. But when they saw what happened to these guys, they went public. They confessed their sins and they burned all of those things. They confessed and repented of their ways. They took action to rid their lives of these destructive practices. And it was costly, but it was worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Let me tell you something. That's not cheap Christianity there. Jesus' little brother tells us in James 1.21, he's therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And Listen to what he says. He says, put these things away and then receive this. Put away all the filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You've got to get that junk out of here so you can be filled with this. See, see, here's the thing. When we have this attitude of like I can have both feet in both camps, we're not seeing Jesus as king, but Jesus as a servant to our own desires. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. And we shouldn't treat him that way. He is not this, hey Jesus, I need you to come out. I mean, I need you to come out for just a little bit because i got a problem going on here. I need you to fix this, but, but when you're done with that, I want to shove you back in here and put the cork in there, and I'll let you out when I need you again. Oftentimes, this is the way that we treat King Jesus. He cannot be contained like that. He can't. Repentance is such a vital part of the Christian life. Such a vital part, and I don't think we talk about repentance enough. The word repentance in the Bible literally means the act of changing one's mind, and it results in a changing of action. True biblical repentance goes beyond remorse, it goes beyond regret, it goes beyond I feel bad about my sin, it goes beyond that. Because here's the thing, I don't think any of us in here at one time or another didn't just feel bad about our sin. True repentance goes beyond that. It involves more than merely turning away from sin as well. It is a realization of the destructive nature of sin and it is putting it away and embracing a new life in Christ. It's letting go of those things. And I'm, I don't want to pick those things up, but I need to fill my hands in my life with this goodness, put this junk away, and turn to this. That is true biblical Repentance. And it requires action. Not just a thought. This is what we see here. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I mean, think differently that changes your actions. He says, that by, Paul says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. Changing of the mind that changes the actions. I love the Greek here. The Greek word uh, that is so often used in the New Testament is metaneo, which means to change one's mind and purpose as a result of after knowledge being revealed in true truth of the gospel. We understand these things. There's repentance is ushered in. This verb, and it's related down, metanoia, they denote biblical repentance. It involves a sense of awareness of one's own guilt, one's own sinfulness, and our helplessness. It takes hold of God's mercy in Jesus Christ and results in a radical and persistent pursuit of holy living. Doesn't mean you're perfect. But what it does is going, God, I want to put these things, get these things out of my life, and I want to fill my life with these things. It's obedience to God's commands. Remember, he is, God is for God and He is good. This is what this means. When we do so, we're, we're welcomed in the fullness of joy that God has to offer. Look at Psalm 1611. Listen to this. 
You make it known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Beautiful. Beautiful. And when we're clinging to the things of this world that are sinful and not about the glory of God, what we're doing is denying ourselves of that. It's more than I'm sorry. It's a complete change of perspective, seeing and savoring the goodness of God over our own selfish and sinful desires. And when we embrace true repentance, what we're doing is dethroning the things in our heart that have no rightful place there. No rightful place. And what we do is set King Jesus on the thrones of our heart where He belongs. And what we get is the experience of the, the glory of His name. The glory of His name. Remember all those passages I read about God's glory? He gives it to no other. You try to steal it, you still don't get it. It's not yours. It's where it says He's not giving it to you. He's not relinquishing that to you. You may think, we may think we get it, but we don't. God, God has His glory. And what He does is when... When we put away and we repent of those sinful, selfish ways and we turn to Him, what we get to do is this, this repentance is this welcome act. We step in to the glory of God Almighty. And it's so good. It's so good. I want you to think about this just, just a moment. And i got some practical things I want to talk about. I'm going to close out this morning. Just the goodness of the gospel. I mean, just, I want you to think for just a moment. I want you to think for just a moment of the wretched things that you have done. Things that, that if, if anyone knew, they'd be appalled. Shameful. Christ took all of those to the cross. He knew every one. He took all of that on Him. Your shame that you are feeling right now, Christ carried to the cross and it was nailed there. And the wrath and punishment that you deserve for those wretched things that you have done, Christ bore for you. He bore it all. It wasn't just like, ah, well, we just won't worry about those things. He goes, no, I will take it all. I will take it all upon me. I, want, I have to take it all because if there's any left, it rests on us. And Christ says, I will take it all for those all on me, for all of those that will put their hope and faith in me. I will pay for it. It's paid for. Now I want you to think about this. This is the God of the heavens and the earth that spoke everything into being. Looks upon me. <laughs> and looks upon you. And sees your sin. And sees your wretchedness. It says, I love you so very much that I will take it all. That you are mine and I am yours forevermore. And He redeems us. Even in our rebellion, Christ does this. And He goes to the grave. He dies the death that we deserve. But praise God, He overcomes. That we may have life everlasting because Christ lives we have hope in life eternal. That's worth an amen. I want you to think about the weight of that. How does that soak in? How does that soak into your heart and, and thinking about the things that you've done and, and, and maybe the things that you're still engaged in, the things that you need to repent of? How, what does that do 
in there? Are you denying yourself the goodness of God's glory by hanging on to these things? I love what the psalmist says in 34.8. I'm almost done. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed to the man who takes refuge in him. This is my prayer, especially every Sunday. For every person that walks into these doors, my prayer is that, oh God, oh God, help us to, to taste and see that you are good. Help us to taste and see that you are good. Help us to take refuge in you because in it we are blessed. The truth has to penetrate and saturate our lives. And when it doesn't, we keep ourselves from God's glory that He welcomes us into. And my ambition week after week after week is to draw our attention back to God's glory. I may sound like a broken record at times. But, I want, but here's what I know. Monday's coming. And Tuesday is coming. And the junk of Wednesday comes. And the trash of Thursday. And the temptations of Friday. And the wretchedness of Saturday comes. And if we do not keep ourselves focused on God's glory, we soon will lose sight of it. So here are four questions. In what ways do we try and use God for our own selfish purposes? In what ways do we try to do that? I think it's a good discussion. And, and how do we keep from doing that? How do, I think the first step is just identifying those things. Call them out. Here's number two. How has or is God using you for His glory and your joy and the joy of others? I think that's a really honest question. As we talk about these things this week of, of maybe just ask yourself, man, how is God going to use me for His glory this week? Or how has He? Or even is He? Am I keeping Him from it? Here's the third one. This is big. What does repentance look like for you? What does it look like? What are those things that we need to clear out of our homes that we allow in? What are some things that we need to turn away from that maybe we don't see as really all that bad, but they, they, they tend to creep in and maybe begin to, over time, begin to saturate our lives? Maybe it's TV or music or just a thought process or all of those things that are not glorifying to God that tend to creep in and get us complacent and not seeing God's glory. Maybe there's some sin in our lives that, man, we're just, we're just hanging on to. Maybe it's some lustful things that we're struggling with. Maybe it's just some anger Maybe it's just some way that we deal with life altogether. What do you need to build a fire and throw it in? What do you need to build a fire for? And get rid of it. What, what precautions, what, what does repentance look like for you? Here's the last one. Is eternal peace with God worth sacrificing the temporary peace with the world. Is the eternal peace with God worth sacrificing tem temporary peace with the world? I'd be naive to think that every person sitting in here this morning is a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ. I'd be naive to think that. I'd be even naive to think that every person that came and told me that they were a believer in Jesus Christ really was. I don't know who are Christians. You know, I can be pretty certain about is myself. I tend to think most people here are followers of Jesus. But, but here's the thing. I know that there are some here that are not. 
And I plead with you to let go of the temporary things of this world. And my plea for you is to put your hope in Christ and Christ alone. Because the junk of this world is going to fade away. And what you're going to be left with is your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that Christ is Lord when He returns. And we as believers will do it with, with absolute joy. And those that are in rebellion to Him will do it begrudgingly. But you will say it. My hope and my prayer is that you submit to the goodness of God's glory today. Today. That you put your hope and trust in Christ today. And taste and see that the Lord is good. Or taste and see. I'm going to pray for us in here in just a moment. And Mark and Shelby, they're going to come up and they're going to lead us in some worship here. But here's what I want you to do. Just thinking about this this morning. We need to get serious about this church. Maybe as they lead us in a song, maybe, maybe you just need to gather your family. Maybe you just need to pray together. Maybe you just need to, to get on your knees at your chair. Maybe you just need to confess and do some repenting before the Lord. Or maybe, maybe it's just that you need to surrender in absolute worship to King Jesus. My encouragement is that you would do that today. And if you have questions or you need someone to get on their knees with you and pray, I am here. I know Jesson's here. We have others that would be happy and more than happy to do that with you. Monday is coming. It's coming. Let's not neglect the glory of the God that He invites us to take with Him throughout our day. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, oh God, we thank You for all that You are and all that You do. And we thank You for Your glory. Your glory that belongs to no other. And Lord, we thank You that You allow us to experience it and that You invite us into it because it is so good. But Father, You know that there are things that we wrestle with. Things that we hang on to. Things that we need to repent of. Things that we need to be, be serious about. Maybe just getting some things out of our homes and out of our lives. So we can focus on more of the glory of who You are. But God, we need your, your help with that. We need your help through not only the Holy Spirit, but we need your help through the truth of your word. And we need your help through your, your, our brothers and sisters that you would help us to hold each other accountable, to have hard conversations with one another, to, to encourage one another, to pray with one another. So Father, would you help us to do that? And Father, my prayer this morning, Lord, that you, my prayer is that you have called someone new today. They've sat there and they've heard the truth of the gospel and, and you have cut them to the heart and they are giving up in such a glorious way. And they are embracing hope that is only found in you. So Father, would you do that today? And Father, would they make it known that we can rejoice with them? Christ's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.